Now, nearly everyone's going to be celebrating Thanksgiving on Thursday, but what is distinctive about the Christian practice of Thanksgiving? And that's why we want to look at chapter 5, verse 18, for a few minutes this morning. Now, as Eric was reading that, you can tell that Paul is closing out this letter, and he's inserting a list of imperatives or commands that are important in the life of a Christian. They're listed in what you could say is a snappy or quick-fire format, and yet just because they're snappy, it doesn't mean that they're less important. Sometimes when items are given to us in a list, they are easier for us to memorize. And in fact, if you've talked to someone and they might talk about prayer, one of the verses that comes to mind is 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where he says, pray without ceasing. It's just easy to memorize. It comes back to mind very easily. But the imperative that we're looking at, the command that we're looking at, is in verse 18 in light of thanksgiving, where Paul writes to the Christians here in Thessalonica, he says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's the theme, give thanks this morning. Now, there's two points to the sermon. First point is simply this, thanksgiving is a matter of the heart And then second, thanksgiving is a matter of trusting God. So point number one, thanksgiving is a matter of the heart. And then point number two, thanksgiving is a matter of trusting God. Now, verse 18, just starting with point number one, thanksgiving being a matter of the heart, let's just make some observations here. Uh, The first observation that you see in verse 18 is that this is a command to give thanks. It's an imperative We know that God gives us commands for our good. And we were talking in our meeting before the service this morning, the group of people who were involved in leading, and one of the guys mentioned that the commands can almost have a tone of legalism, especially if you grew up in a background where the commands were used more like a paddle on you. And every time you got out of line, here came the paddle of the command. And yet the commands that God gives are not a paddle. You could think of them as safe boundaries that we live in or a safe boundary that we swim in. So the first thing that we see here is that the command is here and it's good for us to hear these commands and obey these commands. Christians are to give thanks just as Christians are to have joy, verse 8 or 16, just as Christians are to pray. But what does it mean for us to give thanks? Now, there's the classic illustration that I think most of you can relate to. Growing up, uh, when we were kids, we would visit the home of someone in the church, and we'd be welcomed in by the host, and there are my two brothers and I, and Mom and dad would say something like this, put on your best behavior before you go in. Keep your hands to yourself. Sometimes my dad would say, keep your hands in your pockets as you go into this house. And there we'd walk in and food was going to be served. And our hope was that the host was going to bring out a a just steaming hot pizza overflowing with cheese for us boys. But... The lady would walk out of the kitchen with kind of a bowl of beans or, and then a roast to follow. And roasts are good these days. I like roasts now. But back then, 
That's not what you wanted as an eight-year-old. And especially living in the South where kind of an older lady would say, I just picked these lima beans today. And we're like, well, keep them. Give me some pizza. <laughs> At the end of the evening, it's time for us to go. The boys wanted to head home. And we're making a beeline towards that front door off the porch to the car. We just want to get there. And it's in my mind where mom and dad would stand at the door, and I have this cartoon-like figure in my mind where us three boys are like, choo, 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 and dad grabs us by the collar before we get out the door and turns us around, and he says, what do you say to Mrs. So-and-so? And we're supposed to say, thank you for the night tonight. And they were just mere words that came out of our mouths, and the host was fine with that, and my parents were fine with that. But was that sincere? Was that coming from the heart? Is that what Paul means when he gets here to 1 Thessalonians 5, 18? Running through life, you're just wanting to get to the next thing, and God grabs you by the collar, turns you around, and says, now what do you say to me? Well, I guess I'm supposed to come to this fourth Thursday in November and turn back to you and say, well, I'm thankful for this, 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 and this. But nothing is happening on the heart level. Paul, when he writes this and when he instructs Christians, the last thing that he is aiming to breed is hypocrisy. Thanksgiving and these commands that he gives to us Thanksgiving is a matter of the heart. And it can't be our words because God is, God is interested in who we are at the deepest level. He is interested in our heart. So you think about Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Even that beatitude that says, blessed are the pure in what? Pure in heart, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You think about the rest of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you have heard that it was written. And he would talk about the commands that were given that could be obeyed on the external level. And then he would move one step further. And then he'd say, but I say to you, and then he would appeal to you on the heart level. I want your heart to be in line with God. God is always interested in the heart. Empty words, just words, are not what God is looking for. Isaiah 29, verse 13, God was bringing judgment on Jerusalem, and here's what was going on. The Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but notice what's going on with their heart. Their heart is far from me. And then you remember Samuel going on that mission from God to pick out the next king, and he sees what's going on on the outside. He sees that Jesse's sons are handsome. And God says, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And the point of this is that when Paul gives this command, when God gives us this command to give thanks here, God is looking at your heart. He doesn't want us to be hypocritical. The words that come out of our mouths are to be a sincere expression of what is taking place on the heart level. So the command to give thanks is a command 
that goes all the way down to the deepest part of who we are. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But one other thing that I want you to observe here is that I realize that these commands and even this time of year can be very challenging for some. These are hard words. Give thanks where? When? Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, keep this in mind for just a moment. The recipients of this letter, 1 Thessalonians, they were not going through an easy time in life at all. Chapter 1, Paul writes to them and says, you guys received the word in much affliction. Chapter 2, he talks about them saying, you suffered some of the same things that your, your fellows suffered, where Jesus was even put to death by the, the cause of these Jews over here. You've suffered even like Jesus did. In chapter 3, he says, I don't want anyone to be moved by the afflictions that you're suffering. Chapter 4, as though things were not bad enough on the outside, Chapter 4, he gets to this paragraph and he says, now I want to give you hope because I know that some of you have lost loved ones. They're not with you anymore. So it's like they're facing challenges on the outside, afflictions and sufferings from non-Christians, and then they come home and they hear or get the phone call that so-and-so has passed away. And some of you come to this and you're like, give thanks in all circumstances and you feel it you feel like somebody's opposing me over here somebody has done injustice to me they've done me harm and not only is it in that circle of my life but when I come into my own home I'm faced with sorrow and hurt because I'm losing somebody and then we get here the Sunday before Thanksgiving and you just want to say can we skip this week can we skip this verse can we skip this command? Because my life has not been anything in which I think I can go to God and give thanks. And here we are. The Bible says, give thanks. Now, one point for clarification here is that the Bible does not say give thanks for all the circumstances. We don't have to be thankful for a sin that was committed against us or an evil that is taking place. And, and there's a fine line in there where you think about the theology of God, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Paul doesn't say, give thanks for everything that happens in your life. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. And I think God knows the limits of our humanity, the limits of our emotions, where we might not be able to say, thank you, God, for that particular hurt, because right now it feels... You can't go there. But while you're in that hurt, Paul says, you can be thankful in the midst of that hurt for other things that God is doing. So the question is, why? Why and how would God lead us into this? And let's answer that in point number two of the sermon. Thanksgiving is a matter of trusting God. Thanksgiving is a matter of trusting God. Now, notice how the verse reads, give thanks in all circumstances for, that's the ground statement. Here it is, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, let me give you the reason why. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
So what are we trusting God about? I want to give you three sub-points here. Point number one is this. We're trusting in the will of God. We're trusting in the will of God. When you think about this for just a minute, it's not God's will to create a grumbling and complaining group of people. He didn't create us to whine about the weather this morning or about people or about homework assignments or the things that our parents won't allow us to do, young people. You know you won't find any example of God complimenting the complaints or the complaining of people. You'll never read, give complaints and grumbling in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Yet we live that way, don't we? If people were to observe us sometime and say, that person's under marching orders, and somebody says, well, I see their marching orders must have come from somebody who told them to complain and whine all the time, because that's what they're doing. It's God's will to do the opposite. It's God's will for us to give thanks. He created us with the capacity to reflect not just on what's taking place in terms of our pain and suffering and affliction, but he's given us the capacity to be able to reflect on what's taking place in the world, the things that he is doing in our lives. Remember Paul and Silas, Acts 16, they're in prison. And they're not complaining, but they're able to turn their thoughts to God and praise him even while they're in chains. So Psalm 9, verse 1 says this, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. There's the heart level. And now notice what he's able to do. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Meaning this, that even when you are in the midst of really suffering times or afflicting times, the psalmist can say, I can turn even in the midst of when I'm in that place and I can recount and be thankful to God for all of the wonderful things that he has done in my life. So what can we be thankful for? I just started working through this at my desk this last week and I rattled off 29. Why 29? I don't know, I just felt like stopping at 29. So if you're taking notes, don't bother to take these notes right now or else you'll be on the next sheet. What can we be thankful for? Just think about this for a minute. We can be thankful for God himself, for who God is. James 1.17 says that every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. We can be thankful for Jesus Christ, the perfect man, whose righteousness is given to us because we could not offer the righteousness back to God that we needed. We can be thankful even in the middle of our suffering for the forgiveness of all of our past sins and the memories that we have, the memories that we'd like to erase and delete. We can be thankful for the Holy Spirit who's indwelling us, who brings God's word to mind, who convicts us, encourages us, who comforts and strengthens us. We can be thankful that we have access into God's presence this morning by prayer. Anytime you want to pray, to the God of the universe, God invites you in. That's a gift to be thankful for. There are other good things that God has given to us. I had a cup of decaf coffee, a warm cup of decaf coffee. Some of you had caffeinated coffee this morning. 
Coffee and tea. Right now, I would dare to say that most of you have your toes covered by socks, keeping your feet warm this morning. You have shoes to cover your feet. Right now, we're all covered up with material that if it wasn't for God's creation, we'd be in trouble if we didn't have clothes. We can be thankful that right now, the power is on and we have a warm building right now in this moment. We have cars. Each one of us got here this morning with cars that were capable of getting us from home to here. We can be thankful for good books that God gives to us, that God has enabled other people to write, that we can enjoy, especially during a holiday season. We can be thankful that right now we actually have chairs that we're sitting on so that we're not on the floor. I'm guessing that most of you had good beds to sleep in and pillows to lay your heads on, alarm clocks that woke you up on time this morning. All of us, I believe, have running water that comes right into our homes and a little lever that turns and boom, there it is for us to access. We have water heaters for hot showers. We have soap to clean away the sweat and dirt. We have electricity that's delivered to our homes to power up stoves and ovens and lights and furnaces and air conditioners. We have all kinds of different foods and grocery stores that we can go to that aren't closed this morning and food is being delivered to them. And then there's our neighbors who are employees at these stores that are putting food on the shelves and they're running the cash registers and they're taking returns. You've got trucks and truckers moving all over the country, driving north and south, east and west, that are bringing those goods back and forth to us. There's turkey farmers who are raising birds so you don't have to. Unless you're the canalies, then you can raise your own birds. There's potato farmers, so you can have mashed potatoes and sweet potatoes. Green bean farmers. And then somebody made dishes that you can be thankful for. Cups and glasses that are going to hold your drinks this holiday season. There's sports teams that you can be thankful for. You enjoy watching those games and seeing the competition. Many of you are going to be on the phones texting back and forth. You can be thankful that you have something to communicate with. You can be thankful for the people whom you see, the people who are next to you, the people who are going to be sitting next to you at the table. God has given us more than just our immediate circumstance to be thankful for. And if you're looking at this week and you're saying, you know, I don't remember the last time that I really expressed thanks on a sincere level, I would like to just encourage you to do this. And I mean, I'm pointing the finger at myself here. And my family's going to hear this and say, oh, great, Dad. Families, individuals, I challenge you, just make a list. Sit down and make a list of 50 things that you are thankful for. It could be a family activity. Ten things that you're thankful about God. Ten things that you're thankful about in terms of food. Ten things that you're thankful about in terms of your church family. Ten things that you're thankful about in terms of your family. Start recounting the wondrous deeds that God has done for you. 
So here's the point. Life is hard, and God is not taking anything away from the severity of your afflictions. He's not saying, well, that's, that's meaningless or that's light. What he's doing is he's saying, even in the midst of your suffering, here is my will for you, that you would turn your attention to me and see the many other things that I've been doing in your life and be thankful. We need the discipline to give thanks for the gifts that God has given to us. He's giving us a path forward, even in the middle of our afflictions and sufferings. So this is God's will. And I think as Christians, we would say, just as it is the design for a fish to swim in water and thrive there, it's God's will and design for us to thrive in the commands that he has given to us. His commands are good for us. And so this week, as you think about this is the will of God to give thanks, do that and it's good for you. Well, let's look at a second point on how to give thanks from the heart and trusting God. We can trust in the providence of God. So we're trusting the will of God that it is his will for us to give thanks, to practice this discipline, but also we're trusting in the providence of God. And when we're talking about the providence of God, what we're simply saying is that we believe that God is working in each and every circumstance to bring about his ultimate purpose. Everything that is going on in our lives, and this is a challenge, everything that is going on in our lives is under the mystery of God's providence. So broadly speaking, we see this in Ephesians 1.11, that God is working on a broad way. Ephesians 1.11 says that we've been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. We can narrow it in. Job sees God's providence in creation. He says, God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For the, to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. And likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick clouds with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. Whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. Okay, so what we're seeing is God is in control of all things. Here's some areas. God is in control of all of creation. And we know that God is specifically in control of our individual lives. Psalm 139, verses 16 and 17. Before you were even born, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And here's the psalmist saying, you have shaped my days. You've numbered my days. Even before I was born, you were numbering out my days. Proverbs 20, verse 24 says, a man's steps are from the Lord. So a man makes his plans, but the way that his steps go in life are under this mysterious providence. So here is God, folks. Here is God, and we see from passages, he's working all things according to the counsel of his will. 
You want to narrow it down to specific categories. We're just looking at two here. You can see that even every snowflake that fell over the last week was under the hand of God. You look at your days that are unfolding in front of you. Today is Sunday, and this day for you was numbered by God. He's directing your steps through it. Everything in life is happening under the omniscient, all-wise, providential work of God. Now step back for just a moment, because sometimes what it feels like is that the marbles are falling off the table of life. Here goes this circumstance. Here goes this person. Here comes this trial. And they're all running towards the edges. And you feel like you're the one who is wrapping your hands around the table saying, don't fall off. I've got to keep all of these things on. And there slips one and you're like, ah, there goes another one. Ah, there goes another one. But in all reality, what we're seeing is that God is the one who's placing the marbles on the table. And so he's in providential control of the good times. He's in providential control of the hard times. And the point here is that even in the midst of that then, we can say, okay, God, I can thank you for your wondrous deeds. I can thank you for who you are. I can thank you for what you're doing because I trust you. Now, you might not be at a place And I'm not always at a place where I can say, God, thank you for that pain. It's not in the heart. It's not sincere. I can't do it. But what I can do is I can say, God, thank you that this is not outside of your control. Thank you that you are in perfect control of everything that's taking place. And how it happens, we don't have to know. That's all part of the good mystery of who God is. I don't know that we can really do any justice to it with words, but... Leon Morris, he's a commentator who wrote a book on 1 Thessalonians, and I feel like he summarized this thought well about God's providence and us being able to be thankful for, for God's providence. He says this, as worldly people go on their way, they meet with some things that make them happy and some about which they complain bitterly. They conceive of life as a matter more or less of chance. There's the marbles floating around. Accordingly, they welcome those workings of chance which favor their purposes, and they object to those who do not. But when anyone comes to see that God in Christ has saved him, everything is altered. Now it is apparent that God's purpose is being worked out, and the evidence of this becomes clear in the believer's own life and in the lives of those about him. This leads to the thought that the same loving purpose is being worked out even in those events which the believer is inclined not to welcome at all. Tribulation is unpleasant. Yet in the midst of tribulation, who would not give thanks knowing that the Father who loves us so greatly has permitted that tribulation only in order that his wise and merciful purpose might be worked out. So, out of this great central truth of Christianity, Paul calls on his friends to practice the continual giving of thanks. And that's where we are. 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Who is God? He's the providential one. You can be thankful whether they're incredibly joyful circumstances. You can be thankful in the devastatingly painful circumstances because God is in control of all things. And sometimes, let's just be honest, those seem like mere words, don't they? You're like, oof. But I hope that God would just use these in such a way where we're saying, okay, okay, God, it's about you. It's about you that I'm turning my attention to. All right, one more aspect. We looked at the will of God. We looked at the providence of God. And now we're thinking about the love of God. You can give thanks to God, trusting in the love of God towards you. Now, at the end of this verse, Paul says, well, back at the beginning, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God. And here it is, in Christ Jesus for you. Paul closes this phrase off by pointing out that this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say that it is the will of God in Christ Jesus? It's because he's calling our attention to the Savior. When Christ went to the cross, it was the greatest demonstration of love. There is God's Son going forward as the substitute for sinners. Christ Jesus is the one receiving the judgment of God For our sins. There's Christ Jesus. That's who he is. He's our sacrifice. And we're in him. We're we're in Christ Jesus. And now that we're in Christ Jesus, the will of God is coming to us. And so God is saying, for those of you who are in Christ Jesus, here is my will. Here's my will. You see the love that I have for you. I want you to walk now in Christ Jesus, offering thanks. And now as you can see, This is really only possible for those who are in relationship with God, who trust God. And yet God doesn't leave us hanging as though it's a burden that's placed upon us just to carry out in our own strength. Augustine prayed to the Lord and he said, God, command what you will, but give what you command. And his point was this, that when these commands are given that appeal to us on a heart level, it's so hard and it's impossible for us just to flip the switch on the heart level and say, okay, it's on, now I can do it. What's needed is the grace of God on the heart level so that at the heart level we can say, God, thank you. Thank you for your providence. Thank you for your will. Thank you for your love to us in Christ Jesus. It's out of who God is now and what he's done in our lives that we're able to come to verse 18 and say, okay, this is good for me. I can give thanks in all circumstances for this is the good will of God in Christ Jesus for me to give thanks. Let's pray.